Welcome to Many Talks Podcast, talking all business, entrepreneurship, property development, finance, and investment. Reese Many here, host of Many Talks. Um, got a fantastic entrepreneur with me today, James Constantino, successful property developer, entrepreneur, and TV star. James, thanks for coming over. Lovely, lovely. Um, so so, same as normal for our listeners, you know, we, we're going to run through a series of questions talk to James. The reason we thought James would be a great match for, for our show today, um, obviously you'd have seen him as a TV star on, on Channel 4. We will talk about that business, but more importantly, James is a property developer as well. Um, so James, the first question I'd like to, to run into really is, you've got a successful lending business, um, but when you first become a property developer, what was it, what kind of property was it that you invested into? How did that start? Well, that sort of started in the, um, in the sort of mid-80s, really, sort of coming out of the last, uh, uh, well, sort of eight, late 80s, coming out of the um, recession, or we were still sort of in a recession, uh, uh, around sort of 89, 90, actually. And I sort of started building up a uh, rental portfolio because they were sort of bending over backwards to give away mortgages at that time. Yeah. Uh, and it carried on for a few years, and uh, over sort of a three or four-year period, I built up uh, a fairly tidy um, rental portfolio rented out to students and what have you and that sort of grew into I was always quite interested in uh, new builds okay. so then um, formed a, a, a company a building company a development company uh, got NHBC registered and started uh, doing new builds as well and that sort of went you know relatively well so the, when when you got into um, obviously buying the rental properties, buy to let, um, as, as they're known as. Was that in a local area that you knew already or did you venture out? Well, I wasn't really brave enough at the time. I was sort of dipping my toe in the water. But I've always, even since then, have stayed fairly local. I liked, yeah. I'm not doing, I was never doing it on a massive industrial scale. It was, you know, one or two a year. Yeah. And um, it was local to me. And to be quite honest with you, there'd always be something to pick up. I mean, I live in Surrey. Um, yeah. It's an affluent uh, county, and there's all, but there is still, I mean, there's still stuff there, but at that time, um, I mean, since then, we've had a lot of the TV shows, the programmes, yeah. and um, the ones that show you how to buy property at auction, and the sort of <laughs> public have dipped into it as well. So it has become a little bit harder to find those, those odd gems, yeah. but it was fairly local to where I am, yeah, and I sort of understood the market. I think that's key to being successful. Um, um, and what was it that triggered you to get in, into property? Well, was that your first business venture? Not really. I mean, I tried a, a few other... Um, I've always sort of uh, dabbled with bits and pieces. I had an um, a, uh, import company. I used to okay. import goods from India. Um, I used to deal in classic cars. And I felt that the, uh, yeah, the car market was a little bit flat at the time. And I felt that the um, buying property basically make it, tidying it up and making it look good for rental or selling on yeah. was similar to the classic car market. You know, you'd buy a rusty old car, restore it, sell it on, make a profit. And really, um, I just sort of found that I had a bit of an eye for it and it sort of done, I did all right out of it, mm. to be honest with you. I mean, it's all well and good uh, in, the, in a rising market, but then you've got to be really skillful in a downturn. And yeah. I think that's the problem for most people. But uh, I've been relatively lucky, I think. Good. So when you, let's Rebecca, when you was at school, um, as, as a youngster at school, what, did you know that you was going to go on that journey yourself as an entrepreneur? Was it family that pushed you that way? What was it? Not really, to be quite honest with you. I mean, I wasn't very studious at school, I yeah. must say. I mean, I got expelled by the time I was 15. 
Um, you know, the teachers always said, oh, you'll amount to nothing, and I uh, used to sort of get hammered down that way. But I think my family have always been um, interesting bunch. You know, okay. my, my uncles from the East End, and yeah. they um, and they sort of always ducking and diving. I think I probably learnt most of my skills from them actually, just watching them. Just watching them. What yeah, they just watching them. Uh, they, yeah. they, some of their stories and how they earn a few quid. And uh, I think that probably uh, fueled me going forward. Um, but I always knew very early on that I didn't want to have a sort of regular nine to five. And I think I knew that by the time I was probably about 11 years old. Yeah, um, so just I, didn't yeah, interest you at all. Not really. <laughs> and um, I think that's probably uh, one of the reasons, well, maybe uh, how it sort of explains how I was at school. You know, I wasn't yeah. really sort of concentrating too much on English literature. I sort of knew roughly what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to be um, well, work an entrepreneur, working for yeah. myself, making my own way in life. And I didn't, maybe I didn't think that English literature would benefit me <laughs> at that stage. Um, would it have benefited me? Probably not, to be quite honest with yeah. you. And anybody that's, that's going through school, similar, similar to myself, I left early. People that have been on the show, most entrepreneurs seem to leave school slightly earlier than, than other people. Um, not to say that you can't be an entrepreneur if you go through and do your grades yeah. and, and go to university and come out with, with what you're looking for. Um, but the people that are going through that and they don't really know where to turn, what, what kind of advice could you give to them at, at that? Because at that? sometimes you, you're at that stage where thing, people are telling you, like you just said, teachers are telling you at school, you're not going to make nothing. You're not going to. You're not learning. You're not listening. If you don't do it my way, it's not going to work for yourself. There's people out there that are at that crossroads. Well, I think that look, having an education and being a very well educated entrepreneur is a lethal combination. Yeah. I mean, I just for me personally, it was never going to go that way. But I mean, God, if I could turn the clocks back, um, maybe I would have done things a little bit different. I mean, if I'd have a, had a private school education, uh, gone to university and had the same mindset that I have now in yeah. terms of uh, money making, I probably may, um, may have been more successful, I don't know, but okay. um, I would say follow your dreams, hammer away at what you want to do, um, and you know, I think eventually a good entrepreneur will always be successful. I mean, most of the entrepreneurs that I sort of bump into um, have been up and they've also been down at some yeah. point. I've been fairly lucky in that respect. Um, but I think, you know, you're going to get kicked down now and again. And if you're good at what you do, you'll always bounce back. It might be a new project, a different concept, uh, something in a completely different genre. But I think if you're of that mindset, you will always rise to the top. Yeah. And, and do you think that is, is that mindset, entrepreneur mindset, never give up, that gets, gets entrepreneurs or gets successful people to where they are? Well, I think for me personally, it's the fear of uh, having to go to work properly for someone else. I mean, that's what sort of drives me, yeah. to be quite honest with you. I mean, look, I like earning a pound note, and it's not about, it's not really about the amount of money, whether it's, could be a 50 quid, it could be 500 grand, yeah. but um, it's just the wheeling and dealing side of it that appeals to me, and I enjoy that side of it. Yeah. And I think if you enjoy what you do, then you're going to be relatively successful. If you're sort of going to work thinking, oh my God, not another day. Yeah, you know, not enjoying it. You're not going to really strive. Yeah, you'll, you'll do all right. You'll have your paycheck at the end of the week and uh, you'll pay your bills. But yeah. if you really want to go forward, then find something you really enjoy doing. And it always, for me anyway, for an entrepreneur, I think 
if you're working for yourself, it's key. Yeah. yeah. Especially to enjoy it. There's some great takeaways there. So ju just going back, obviously, you, you went into the property sector, classic car, so you've always been doing a bit of wheeling and dealing, as you put it. How did you go from um, the property company moving into to the pawnbrokerage, what, what you've got, um, and then from there, how did you launch the TV series? Yeah, well, I mean, um, what happened in 2008, the market, as we all know, yeah. sort of fell out of bed almost overnight with the crash. We had Lehman Brothers and all that business going on. Yeah. And instantly, the banks weren't funding any um, development projects, no matter how well established you were, what sort of track record. It was just a simple no. Yeah. And I think um, a lot of people, um, a lot of good people that probably with a little bit more help from the banks could have uh, ridden that uh, that scenario out. But unfortunately, they had the rugs pulled from under them and, uh, and a lot of them were repossessed. Their homes were repossessed. Their children had to leave their private school. So they went through a lot of trauma. Yeah. And um, at that particular time, 2008, I had finished a couple of relatively um, substantial building projects in a place called Cobham, which is the home of the Chelsea yeah, uh, yeah, Football yeah, Club. Yeah. Very affluent. Um, where the training ground is, right? Yeah, yeah that's yeah. right. So um, the, uh, I, I'd finished the project and I'd actually exchanged on them. So very lucky because it was a matter of really months before. If it had been three or four months later, I probably you know, wouldn't have sold those. I may have lost money. But mm. as it turned out, we did very well out of those two projects. And I was re really sort of not able to go forward in terms of investing that money in property because it was just plummeting. I mean, literally overnight. It yeah. wasn't seeing... Uh, for quite a few months, it wasn't showing any signs of easing up in terms of uh, falling. Yeah. Um, so I was sort of sitting around and I, I knew I needed to do something, but what could I do in times of adversity and, and times of down, you know, the, in the economic downturn? And I thought about money lending because I had a lot of friends who had assets, but really I was hearing some horrific stories. You know, they were coming, I was sitting in uh, one of the coffee bars in, uh, in, in Weybridge, where I'm from, and they were friends of mine that I've known for years, sending their kids to public school, driving up to St George's Hills, that big estate up there where uh, a lot of the multi-millionaires live, and they were saying, well, I haven't got any money to pay the electric, I mm. can't send uh, my son to the school. So or, you ass know. Asset rich, but... But, but they, had, they were driving around it, and I thought, well, this is, you know, this is outrageous. When they were telling me they'd been to the bank manager that they'd known for 20 years, 30 years, couldn't even get 1,500 quid out of mm. them. Um, so it was almost overnight and I was thinking that, okay, I, did, I, I didn't have millions and millions of pounds to invest, but I had a bit of cash sitting around doing nothing. It seemed to me logical to find a way really to fund money to these sorts of people. Mm. Not all of them, you know, I'm not talking about particularly my friends, but just people that were in that same scenario. Okay. And I started thinking about how I could lend against assets. And it was a much bigger thing in America because I read an article in the Times about funding against art. Yeah. And it's something that I'd never really thought about. I didn't even know existed, to be quite honest with you. And I don't think it had, been, it had existed, in the, certainly not in the UK. And I thought, well, look, well, you know, I might, some of my pals have built up art collections. How can we? And I started thinking about pawnbroking. And I wondered if there was anyone really in the pawnbroking sector that was lending against high end assets. So I sort of went on Google, yeah, as you do, have a little look, and I was thinking, do you know what, the, the, the industry is so stagnated in its, in its approach. All the websites were brown and beige, yeah. there was little pictures of gold fob watches, and I was thinking, isn't there anyone out there that does any sort of sexy stuff, you know, cars? Because when you mention pawnbroking, that's, that's what you think, gold rings, bracelets. I know, it's, uh, it's 
harping back to the Dickensian type yeah. of yeah. imagery of pawnbroking, which is a little bit of a shame. But I thought, well, why aren't they doing it? And I thought, and I sort of looked at a, a few of the big boys, and I thought, well, they clearly don't do it because they probably don't understand yeah. the asset. Mm. Um, and I sort of, because I dabbled with um, the cars, yeah. uh, the classic cars and modern cars, uh, and I sort of had a couple of friends, I had a friend who was an art dealer, and uh, my family were quite into wine, so I sort of, I thought, well, hold on a minute, I've probably got a little bit here, a few in, connections here that can get going with it. If I employ a jeweller with a, a lot of knowledge, then I can cover a lot of the assets going mm. forward. So really, that's how it started. So the next stage, I was, uh, I was a friend of mine, a young lady, I said, listen, this is what I want to do, I want to open a pawnbroker's, can you find out about it for me? She was very good at researching, got in touch with the National Pawnbroker Association, applied for the licence and so forth. And then at that time, a little shop in Weybridge High Street came up for sale, uh, well, for lease, actually, and um, I thought I'd go and have a little look at it. So I've gone down there, met the Asia, tiny little thing it was, um, and uh, walked into this little old disused, well, it was a, a, used to be a hat shop. Yeah, okay. So I walked down the back, and in the back, I opened this cupboard up, and in the back was a safe. And I said to the agent, why is there a, a safe in a hat shop? He said, oh, in the last crash in the 80s, the guy um, started a pawnbroker's here, and he did so well, he, he ended up with his, you know, his own mini bank. I thought, well, this is like too good to be true. true. <laughs> so really, that's how it started. So, you know, we opened the doors, did the conventional things, did leaflet drops, got, yeah. chased, got chased out of Tesco. When was that? What year was that? <laughs> that was in um, 09. So I was getting guys to do the leaflet yeah. or they were getting chased out of Tesco's <laughs> car park, saying you can't put leaflets yeah. on cars here. So we've done all that business for about six months. Uh, sat in the shop. There was a hairdresser's next door. No one came in for two weeks. It was incredible. Guy come in, we're all excited, and basically he wanted a haircut. I said, well, that's next door, mate. Um, so, but gradually, I think, with the help of the local press, when they realised what we were offering, uh, they ran a couple of articles. And it started to perpetuate itself, really, from there. And um, we had um, a loan against a very nice uh, Munnings painting. The first one we did was about 50 grand. Shortly after that, we had Lamborghinis and Ferraris coming in. A wine, a lovely wine collection. Um, we even had an Arab sheikh coming with uh, who wanted to raise a few yeah. quid, rather sharpish. So, uh, yeah, we've done a few nice ones from the, uh, from there. And this what's the one that sticks out to you when you're sitting in the shop? Nobody's come in for two weeks. What was the the deal that that come in and you thought, you know what, I've made the right decision. Here. I can see this. Well, I think for me it was the first big one, which would be the piece of art piece that of come art, yeah. landed. And I thought because up until then it was like. 500 quid, 1,000 pounds, 15, and then suddenly 50 grand, I think it was, that one, or 40 or 50 grand, I thought, well, this is nice. If we can get more of this, this could work. Mm. And uh, gradually, they did come in, and we started getting a bit of traction. I think the BBC World News come and did an article, uh, well, come and did a bit of filming for us, uh, with us, and that was aired around Europe. Then I started getting calls from Germany, they wanted me to fly out there and be interviewed, because the whole concept of uh, loaning against these high-end assets hadn't really been explored, or to my knowledge, was being done in the yeah. way that we were suggesting. So you spotted an opportunity, really? Yeah, I think it was just uh, being in the right place at the right time. And I think, going back to what you said earlier about um, any advice, yeah. um, if you can think of a concept that is um, in, you know, at the right time, mm. like the money lending was in times of, um, you know, people really couldn't raise cash. Mm. Um, in the conventional way through the banks. If you can think of something like that, whatever it is, then I think, and you're passionate about it, then you know, you're, 
you're one foot in front. Yeah, and you've never looked back since? No, I mean, really, uh, for me, it was the, we got this phone call after about, I think it was about 18 months when we were going, uh, coming up to two years, and we got a phone call from um, a production company who'd been in touch with the National Pornbrook Association said, look, we want to do uh, a film on alternative money lending, because it was very, that was the big thing at the time, I think this is about 2011, 2012. And they said, well, go and see James because uh, he does some crazy stuff and you, <laughs> you might find him quite, quite interesting. And when they phoned me up, so they had a phone call from some guy, he said, uh, we want to make it, and I thought, nah, this, you know, this is some sort of expose. They're trying to yeah. rubbish the sector, you know, pawnbroking sector. So I was a bit sceptical. He said, oh, look, well, just let me down and I'll talk to you. So he come down, he said, can I just sit here for a day? I said, it's going to be boring for you. Anyway, he sat there. And I could hear him, he went outside, I had a secretary at the time called Joe, or a PA, very good girl, very knowledgeable, very helpful, and helped drive the business forward. But me and her used to, because we'd known each other since we were 17, we had a bit of banter. And it's always so, the best. Well, we were sort of bickering and arguing, and like I was taking the mick out of her shoes. She said my shirt looked like something uh, Liberace would wear. Anyway, the fella, <laughs> he was listening to it, and I heard him go outside on his um, telephone, he was phoning the production company said I think I've hit gold here I think we should get them down anyway yeah. so that's how it really came out they said look let's do a pilot uh, and if you are happy with the pilot then you know we can look at commissioning so they did a little pilot it took three days yeah. I thought actually this is really good they went into the wine storage facility looked really interesting you know met the clients and I think I think the thing for me is what made it more interesting is not really listening to me um, and the, and the team with the assets talking about it, although that was part of it. But I think what really made it interesting was the client's stories. So, you know, why they were in that predicament, what led them to that um, place in their life and, uh, and how, it all, how it all came about. And I think that's what the viewer, because they could all relate to that. Yeah. Because they were all going through it. And it showed another side to it. It showed the side of, uh, you don't have to, it's not only about... Um, you know, living in a, a council house and not having enough money, money for you. Yeah. But there is another side to it. And okay, you know, you might have a, if you've got the car in the first place, but these people are hit as well. And if they've been sending their children to private school um, and been living that lifestyle, you know, it, it, it's it's painful for them. I suppose it's even the case of some some high net worth, you know, some deals are not completing as quick as they can, so their cash is tied up and they just need a bridge for a few months, exactly. it fits the bill, doesn't it? Exactly, we see that all the time on yeah. a regular basis. You know, people come to me now and they say, listen, James, I need 200 grand, I need 400 grand, need it by next week. Yeah. I said, well, you can have it, in some cases, you can have it within the same day, depending on what you're presenting to me. But rarely does an asset take more than sort of four or five days to value, yeah. um, or a collection, in fact. So um, if you've got the assets and you're lucky enough to have built up um, assets in times of, um, you know, in, in the good times, and mm. you can turn to use those assets as uh, liquid cash. Well, that's really. why you, that's why you collect them or you, you buy them, really, exactly. isn't it? For, the, for them exactly. days. And I think what what amazed me, what I was sort of quickly finding out is that a lot of these people that were sitting there, really in a bit of a mess financially and a bit uh, emotionally as well mm. in terms of raising money to pay their mortgage or see their kids go through school or whatever, they'd, they'd be sitting on a piece of art that would be hanging on the wall free foot from them that they wouldn't even think about yeah. and they could raise a hundred grand. So, you know, I mean, this is what the, the, 
this is what we did and this is what we brought to the public with the TV show and I think it made yeah. people aware that there were other alternatives if you had an asset. Yeah. Yeah. I mean one of the one of one of the scenes or one of the episodes that caught my attention when I was watching, I suppose defaults must be tough. Um, it must not be a nice process to go through. Um, I think I see one where they said you don't normally do this, but you, you give the stuff back to the lady that was a, a, a tough time. Obviously, you can't do that all the time because you, you wouldn't run a business. Um, and I suppose it's hard to take emotion out of it when it is business and you, some of your staff, maybe not you, but have a relationship with these people. How, how tough is that? I can imagine it being... It's really tough. And, and yeah. the lady that you're talking about was suffering. Um, you know, she'd been for a lot of yeah. strain. And I think everything had come on top of her. Once she'd, uh, she'd been suffering, she had cancer, in fact, okay. the yeah. lady. So she, she was under a lot of stress. Her boiler packed up, mm. her fence fell over. Every, everything, everything, <laughs> everything that yeah. could hit the poor woman did. did. And it was just one of those scenarios that... And we, I think we were talking... It was three or four hundred quid I think and yeah. I just thought and they were debating it and I was thinking and exactly what I told them not to do is what I did is don't, <laughs> do not get emotionally yeah. involved with the clients because once you start listening because they want to talk it's almost like a bit of a therapy thing as well they yeah. sit there they say well you know so and so has happened to me and this hasn't been paid this invoice wasn't paid so I'm in under a lot but and uh, so you can't help but get pulled in a little bit but you've got to try and block that from your mind otherwise yeah, like you say, you know exactly. Exactly. So this particular time, it, it was just one of those instances where you thought, no, enough's yeah. enough. You can't, yeah. you can't put her through anymore, and that's what we decided to do as a business. And um, yeah, what's one of the biggest assets that you've had a default on that you've had to take ownership of? Well, um, we've had, uh, we've had the cars are quite. I mean, look, we don't we don't default on many. Of our loans, so it's a, in, it's about eighteen okay. percent. So and it's never Relatively a good, low, very low. yeah, it's very low. It's never a good feeling for us as a business to sell someone's assets because I think there's a misconception out there that you want to sell them and you're going to yeah. grab some more. But it's not the case. There's nothing to be gained. In fact, it's a headache because I don't want to be a shopkeeper. No. So I don't want to sell people's belongings. A, you lose the client potentially because you're selling their asset. Yeah. They are in an ideal scenario. They pay the loan back, take the asset back. And then, if they need you again in the but they come back. If as soon as you sell their collection or their car, a they've got a little bit of a sour taste in their mouth, and b they haven't got the asset anymore. Yeah. So we work with people to, um, you know, if someone phones me up and they say, "Listen, James or whoever it is they're talking to, I've got some money coming in two months' time. I've sold a property in Spain or whatever it might yeah. be," we'd always be more than obliged. Happy to work with them. Well, it's, it makes good business sense too because. For the reasons I pointed out, yeah, you don't want to sell people's assets. It's not what we do. We're just money lenders. We're yeah. like a bank, only we don't ask people to jump through a lot of the hoops that the banks do. We're not too worried about your uh, personal circumstances or even proof of income. It's not a, a concern to us. What we're concerned about is our security. It's all about the asset. Yeah. So as long as you've got the asset and you can cover the loan, and try, you know, I always advise people if you're presenting something to us that you've got emotional attachment to, that's a different thing. Um, you want to think about that carefully because yeah. we don't want to be selling people's belongings. If it's a, you know, if it's a guy and he's got ten Ferraris in the car in his garage and he needs to raise a couple of hundred grand, chances are he's not going to be too emotionally attached to that car. He can go out and buy another one properly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so it's not really a big deal. But if you've got grandfather's yeah. wedding ring or something, then it's a different. You think about that 
very wisely mm. before you make any decision because you know eventually it will have to be sold. Yeah, makes sense. What what do you think um, is the real why your business was such a success? What's the real reason behind it? Well, apart from yourself, obviously. <laughs> well, I think really it was about timing, to be quite honest with yeah. you, and the opportunity to have that. Uh, the what we did aired uh, yeah. helped tremendously. It got the phones, yeah, it got the phones ringing. I mean, unbelievable. We almost overnight. Um, but I think it's about timing. Like I was saying earlier, advice to a young entrepreneur: it's all about timing. If you're, if you can develop something. Or, or a bit of forward thinking in terms yeah. of uh, what the public are going to need going forward, and it might be in, in a downturn, it, or it might be in a, a rising market. Um, for me, um, the hardship, unfortunately, for others, uh, presented me with an opportunity. But mm -hmm. I mean, there were a lot of people suffering out there at that time. But uh, for me, it was uh, it was uh, a good business move, and I think just having that, it was almost like a light bulb moment, to be quite honest with you. When I saw the article. Asset lending in America against art. Well, I know people with art. Yeah. What, what's stopping us doing it here? All right, I'm not a, an art expert, but no. there's there's people out there. We can, yeah, we can pull it. Have you had many people jump on the bandwagon and try and copy your idea? Well, I think to be quite honest with you, it was quite it was quite funny because when we first started doing it, there was little rumours and people whispering in the pawnbroking sector, "Oh, it won't last six months." Or that. <laughs> you know, this seems a bit crazy. I don't think that'll catch on. And now what I'm seeing is pretty much all of them. If they're not, if if they've set out their store, they'll have another arm or trying to develop another part of the business because they realise that that is a growing market, yeah. and it was one that wasn't tapped into. Um, and I think it's, uh, I think it's what the program did. It was good for the, good for the industry. It sort of um, showed people that you know pawnbrokers aren't out there to rob you; they're there to help okay. you. And and I think that um, that end of the market, which is now growing, um, I think it offered a lot of small business or medium to even large businesses, uh, an op business people, uh, an opportunity to raise money fast when they didn't really know about it. And yeah, they're, they're jumping on the bandwagon yeah. and some of them have been doing it for years now. Does that concern you that there's more people opening? Is is there a big enough audience? Is there enough people with so. big assets? I think so. Look, yeah. People, you know, pawnbroking is a um, is a trade that's been out for hundreds yes, of years. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. They, I mean, it was only a matter of time before they started looking at the bigger loans and the bigger assets. Yeah. I might have brought it to their attention, but it was only going to be time, time a matter of time before that so jumped on it. But the good thing f for me is that I've had the exposure. People know uh, what we do. They like the way we work. And I think that's a major, a major advantage over some of the uh, competition. Yeah. So obviously it's going really well for yourself. What's, what's next? Is there more TV shows? Is well, um, you know, they might revisit it. What used to tend to happen, they'd leave it for a few months, but they've got some shows that have never been aired. I think about four or five okay. never been aired. They might come back to it. They did um, another production company come at me, the, uh, come and presented themselves to me the, uh, the other week, and we did a pilot for another type of show. Okay. Still sort of in the entrepreneurial sort of arena. Uh, it's about buying and selling. Um, but to be quite honest with you, I am focused on the pawnbroking business yeah. and I want to drive that forward. Um, and uh, I think that's got, a, got some legs, especially with what's going on economically. Definitely. Uh, we've got Brexit to contend with. What do you think of that? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's farcical, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, to be quite honest with you, it's absolutely ridiculous. These people that we've put in power, uh, and even the ones we haven't put in power, more so in some respects, are quarrelling amongst themselves 
what the EU are thinking of us, God knows. And anyone who openly talks about what we should be doing, and if you don't do it, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to, I'm going to quash your... I mean, the message you're sending back to the EU, yeah. they must just be laughing at us. I mean, you know, anyone with a task of leaving the EU now, with all that they've got hammering against them and the opposition and the very unwise words from some of the politicians, in my respect, saying that you, openly saying that you're not going to leave without a deal, it's a ridiculous standpoint and you wouldn't go into a negotiating table. Say I was going for a mortgage and saying, and they're, you know, negotiating the uh, rate down. I wouldn't yeah. go in and say, I'm going to have this mortgage no matter what, what? the rate is. It's a ridiculous <laughs> yeah. standpoint. Because you know that the rate's going to go up. I can't believe it, and, uh, it's, and those people should be struck off, to be honest. They should, don't deserve to be there. Yeah. Um, so anyone who openly suggests that and sends that message back to the Europeans, Silly. in my eyes, um, shouldn't be, we shouldn't be paying their wages. Yeah, it's causing, causing a lot of uncertainty, obviously. Has it affected your business at all? Well, look, I mean, the problem is, is whether we leave or don't leave without a deal, all this chat and the, the chaos that has been going on for the last couple of years has caused this country damage. People in big business, big, big business have, uh, some of them have left already, yeah. just with the uncertainty. So I think the politicians have a duty of care to get this hammered away uh, one way or another. And, you know, all this uh, sound biting for the press and putting out stuff. Let's just get it done yeah, no. because uh, it's what the people voted for, in my opinion, and I think it's very damaging for the country. And uh, you know, the vote's been—it's been—it's been decided. Yeah, it's just time to get on with it. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic. So, just just going back, obviously we've we've touched on Brexit there, um, but going going back to the business, what you're in day to day, how, how do you work? At somebody comes into yourself with. A large asset, a yacht, a Lamborghini, whatever it is. What, what's, what's the, the valuation? How does it have to value up for you to be comfortable to be able to lend to them? Yeah, I think, and look, this is quite an interesting point because a lot of people come in, they talk about, oh, you know, I've just paid, two years ago I paid a quarter of a million quid for a Ferrari. I only want to borrow 125 or 150 grand. But in reality, that Ferrari in the second-hand market might only be worth 150 grand. And you've got to lend a percentage of its second-hand second-hand value. Okay. Um, so it can be a little bit of a bitter pill to swallow for some people when they've laid out 250 grand. Yeah. <laughs> um, for something to be told that they might only be able to borrow 60 or 70 grand, which is a percentage of its second-hand value. And the percentage varies depending on the asset. It can range from anything from 50% up to sort of 80%, but it's of a sort of auction sale value, not a retail number, because at the moment, um, what's, with what's going on economically, they're really, retail is, you know, it's tough. And yeah. I don't want to be looking at valuing my stock on retail numbers. I want to value it on real numbers, which are yeah. generally the auction sale figures. So if a Ferrari, for example, example is in a showroom for, two, for 150 grand, it might only make 110 at auction. Okay. So then I'll lend anything from uh, 55 to sort of 70, 80 grand against that piece. Okay. And that's how and, that's, and, and the valuations, do you, do you have a value in-house or do you get somebody independent to come in? How, how does it Very work? Very rarely do we consult with uh, any external valuers now because we've got such a broad spectrum of experts working for us. Yeah. Uh, we've got ex-Bonhams, uh, um, Sotheby's, all, all the auction houses. We've got uh, members of our team that have worked. I mean, we've been going now yeah. for 10 years. so. Um, we've collected gemologists, uh, art experts, people who understand wine, 
handbags is a big thing for us because that's another asset that wasn't really thought of a few years ago and that's a, a big part of our business. Yeah. Um, the Hermes ones are meant well, to be the ones that... We sold one the other day for 50 grand. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's crazy. But uh, So we sort of pride ourselves on, on that knowledge and we've got a very... A good team behind us, and a very um, yeah. In terms of the spectrum of assets we can value, most of it's in house. Now and again, you'll get something you have never seen before. Yeah. And then you'll think, well, where am I going with it? And yeah. What do you do with that then? Well, like that there are people we can consult. You know, yeah. We've got. There's always someone at the end of the phone, and because I think of uh, what we've done with the TV, it gives us a bit of credibility, and they're usually quite willing to help us. Yeah. Um, if I was Joe Bloggs phoning up, then they might uh, just say. Yeah, so do you think that TV presence and that show really took your business to the next level, would you say? 100%. Yeah. For me, it was like, you know, I, I don't know where I'd be. I, I would I have gained traction in the market. I think I would have done. Would we be getting the volume? No, yeah. we wouldn't get the volume because you couldn't pay for that sort of advertising. I mean, when the show was out, um, when it first came out, I think they were getting two and a half, three million viewers. Unbelievable. But then yeah. it was getting repeated um, in the daytime. Yeah. I mean, some shows have probably been aired about, in this country, probably about 10 times. Yeah, yeah. So you couldn't really, you know, how much would that cost? 30, 40, 50 million? I, don't, yeah. I really haven't got a clue, but you couldn't, that, you, yeah. you couldn't pay for it. Um, so uh, definitely propelled the business forward. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I think, you know, for me personally, it was a great move. A little bit of a nervy one, because when your business is in the spotlight, you're open to... Uh, you know, all sorts of... I suppose that's the negative, is it? The well, you know, you get personal slurs, you get people putting negative... Uh, but they all want to have a little bite out of you. And, and some of them are other lenders. How do you, you deal know. with that? Well, I try not to... I mean, it's very difficult. You try and... 20 years ago, or 25 years ago, when I, or when I was a teenager or in my early 20s, yeah. I would, it would have upset me. Yeah, so I'd have been a little bit, oh, what's that guy? What's he saying? You know, what? Yeah. So, but now as I've sort of mellowed out a little bit in my 40s and now I'm in my 50s, it's like, let them get on with it. Yeah. It don't matter. We're doing what we do. It does all right. And what, what, you know, but you can't really take any of it on board because you wouldn't sleep at night. No. You know, I've got other things to think about. You know, <laughs> I've got kids and that's yeah. all that stress. So it's not something, I wouldn't lie awake at night worrying about what people had said or how they had uh, perceived you. I mean, we used to get them sometimes on the show, you used to get people, I used to get in the morning press play on the recorder and it'd be like, you so and so and so and so, you could have lent more to that poor Matt Bowen. And I used to think, oh please mate, leave me alone. <laughs> <laughs> do it to me. But I think it's just all part and parcel of it. And uh, the thing is, he was watching. Yeah. So, which is a good thing, you know, and probably yeah. spreading the word. So, uh, thanks for that. Yeah. Just one other question on the on the business, and then I just want to touch on um, some advice for some young entrepreneurs out there. Um, repeat business. Do you get a lot of people come back after they've, you know, you, they've used you, you, you've given them the loan, they've paid it back? Yeah, I think most people, um, most people are repeat customers. Yeah. So you build a relationship. Yeah. With them. And I mean, I think what's happened is as well, they use the service. So they might raise, could be anything, a thousand pound, a hundred grand, whatever. They use the service and then they realise, do you know what? I thought this was going to be expensive, but it's cheap. Yeah. Because if they're only using it for a short period of time, when you compare it to borrowing money from the banks, it's cheaper. There's no doubt about it. If I, you borrow a hundred grand off me at say 2.9%, can you walk into a high street bank and borrow a hundred grand for 2,900 quid? No, you can't. No. 
100%. You couldn't, you know, even over two or three months it's cheaper because they would want arrangement fees. They'd probably want valuation. Yeah. They'd want early repayment fees. When you take all that... And how long would it take? Budget, well, exactly, <laughs> and that's if you, could, if you qualify. Yeah, yeah. But I think people realise, actually, you know what, this, this works out all right, actually. Mm. When you talk about the annual rate, which is a red herring in my view, but when you talk about that, it seems a little bit trumpy. But when you're talking about it, I mean, it's for short-term asset, you know, asset lending, and it's for short-term yeah. loans. It's not designed or even suggested or even sold as a long-term so. solution for an asset crisis. It's, it's sold as a short-term fix, as yeah. a bridge, really. And when I'm talking, although the loans are up to seven months, you know, I'm really... Are they normally short-term, one to two months? Is that your sweet spot? I think spot? the average is about three and a half months, really. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. All right, just moving on. Fantastic. And obviously everything's going well for yourself. Look forward to keep seeing you on TV. Um, obviously, we've got a lot of entrepreneurs, young entrepreneurs out there that are inspired by people like yourself. You know, people that have started and worked their way up, got their own business. Um, advice, mentors, um, content that's, that's available, self-development. Is that how you got to where you are? Are you a big believer in... In that formula? Well, I mean, it's not how I got there myself personally, although, you know, you look at and you aspire to other people. I mean, Alan Sugar, I think yeah. he's fantastic, just for his straight talking. Yeah. And uh, you've always got, you know, people that you can look at and think, yeah, he's just, he's hit the nail on the head there. And, and I think, um, are there books you can study? I don't know personally whether there's any formula that you can read that will help you be an entrepreneur. I think it's, for me, it was in me. Yeah. And uh, for the people I knew in my family that sort of used to duck and dive and get up and earn a few quid, it was in them. Yeah. Um, I'm not suggesting that you can't develop it um, or uh, look up to people and even have a mentor. I think it's probably, a, if, uh, you know, if, if that's how you, you are then, or you, or you, you have a mentor, it's not saying it's a negative. Yeah. But for me personally, it didn't really work like that. Um, you know, I see people in business now that I admire for what they've achieved. Um, but I think, you know, you've just got to have a general desire to go out there and earn money. And it doesn't have to be huge amounts of money. I'm just talking about the, I think there's got to be something inside you to the want market. to do the business. And that's for me, I mean, if you go in, the, if you're selling tomatoes in a market store, you want to be in the best pitch. You want to have the nicest tomatoes. Yeah. It doesn't matter what you do. No, you just want to be you the just best. Want to, yeah. And you've got, um, you've got to want to do that. You've got to. And I think your desire uh, for gain must be uh, greater than your fear of loss because yeah. there's too many people out there saying, oh, be careful, don't do that. Oh, that, that doesn't, that won't work. Your desire for gain has always got to be greater than your fear yeah. of loss. And how, how do you switch off? How do you relax? Well, that is difficult, and I am, as I'm getting older, finding more and more ways to do it because obviously um, the cogs are still turning. So, and as an entrepreneur, they don't stop turning no. really. If people say, "Oh, I switch on," laying it up, you don't. You think about it pretty much yeah. all the time. Uh, but I think um, having children, cycle rides. I like Surrey because you're out of London. You get you can sort of almost as you get past sort of Wimbledon coming up, <laughs> get leaving London. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like a breath of fresh air, and I. The chaos of being in central London, I mean, I do love it to a certain extent in terms of the business, but at the weekends and evenings, I try and relax a little bit. Mm. I do go to the gym a little bit, cycle rides. I eat out quite a lot. Um, some of that's due to the lifestyle I lead with work, but I do like to eat in nice restaurants yeah. and go out and try different foods. Just generally try and switch off. And now, as I said, as I'm getting older, things 
don't quite get to me in the way that they used to and I am finding it easier as we grow. I mean we're growing, uh, opening more and more branches. We've just got a place open in Chelsea, got another place down in Brighton. Oh, you've you got more, more yeah, shops now? Yeah, yeah, we've got I think eight now. So um, we're expanding, we've just come back from Scotland, we're looking at a place up there um, and, uh, and other parts of London, North London and so forth. So it's funny because I thought that with the growth you'd be more stressed and actually it's sort of reversed it for yeah, me because well I've got a really good team on board and I've had to employ those teams the team um, to in order to facilitate the growth and what I found is with really good people around you and it's another interesting point for anyone who's uh, growing is because before I wanted to do everything myself yeah. I wanted to look at everything I wanted to tick it off I wanted to agree it and as you sort of grow you realise actually that's not possible not you possible. can't do that You've got to put your trust in someone and they've got to help you grow your business because you cannot grow organic. You cannot grow that way, you know, just having Doing to look at everything. Yourself. It's not possible. Yeah, no, was, we, was, we was talking about this on, a, on another episode the other day, you know. It, it is tough. You, you're always at that place. You think you're ready to employ somebody at the early stages and you think, well, how much is it going to cost me? Have I got enough work for them to do? Mm. Can I trust them? But when you actually sit back and look at it, it's costing you money not to have them because yeah, exactly. you're trying to do everything yourself. Well, I think there comes a point with any growth, there's um, a tipping point, isn't there, that you mm. just can't cope with everything yeah. that's going on and you've got to buy the bullet and good people, they cost money, basically. And they're hard to get as well. And they're hard to get. Um, and that's one another good thing about the, uh, the business and the uh, exposure on TV is people do want to come and work for us. So yeah. we have sort of attracted the best people in the industry. But, um, you know, it's like... Uh, my right-hand woman, uh, Deborah, she said to me, oh, we need another admin person. I said, hold on a minute, another admin person? Well, we only had that other admin person. <laughs> yeah, uh, we, six weeks, yeah, yeah, but it's grown so... And, you know, yeah. you sort of got to go with it. You've got to bite the bullet. And if you don't... Um, What's Well, exactly. I mean, the, 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 I, otherwise you're going back to the days of having to do every, a lot of the stuff yourself. And you think you've got to have a bit of, bit of faith in... Uh, and that's one difficult thing as being an entrepreneur is giving up... Um, you know, holding on to the reins and uh, giving a little bit of uh, leeway with people that work with you to get on with the job because it's very easy as an entrepreneur to want to sort of know every little uh, sort of micromanage everything and it, it, really, it really can't be done. Mm. How long did it take you to, to overcome that? Well, I think it's been a thing that's sort of been a gradual process because obviously in my business is not a massive, we're opening stores so opening new stores once we get we're up to about eight now once i got past sort of four i realized that do you know what i'm gonna have to delegate people to do what i wanted to do mm. and i'm gonna have to concentrate my efforts where they're better better facility or better better needed and you know doing a sort of marketing and advertising side of the business yeah. is really probably my strength. Uh, when I go into these stores and I want to look at everything, I get on their nerves to be quite <laughs> sure. They look here at he comes. Thinking, what is he doing here? I thought he was somewhere else. But I mean, it's very difficult as an entrepreneur not to poke your nose into every yeah. little thing that's going on. And I think you just sometimes now, I see something, I want to go and have a little look at it. It might be a, a watch or a car, I can see a car. In, I want to, I thought, do you know what? I won't hound them because I feel like they're probably getting on their nerves to be quite honest with you. And I think um, it's something that may, may come with age, but I think it can't, you definitely need it with, you need to have that mindset with growth, yeah. otherwise you're not gonna grow. Yeah, no, great, great advice. I mean, James, look, thanks for coming on. It's been fantastic, great, great episode. Some great takeaways there for everybody, an insight into your business, how to grow, 
um, to put you all into things. Thanks for coming. Thanks, Thanks a lot. Thanks a lot. Cheers. So for now, what I want to do is thank you for listening. Subscribe leave a review look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast with some exciting guests coming our way